25 seconds left to play. You're listening to the Matt Wyatt Show. I want winners. This crowd is alive. Ready to win the game. Wyatt from the shotgun, two backs alongside. Knock him out, John. Wyatt gets the ball. It won't be long. Wyatt back to throw. Wyatt looks. Fires toward the end zone. Passes. Caught for touchdown by Matthew Butler. Speak to They are who we thought they were. And we let them out the hook. I get out of hand. Just, just tell me I'm a jerk and shut up. Let's go scatter the West right tight. That's left. 372 wide sticks. He's The Matt Wyatt Show. He's Radio Wyatt. Well, how am I going to go to college? I'll just play football. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the show. Smack dab, middle of the day. Good to see y'all. How are you? I'm Matt. I'm in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go! With the home team. They are your home team at Farm Bureau. Local agents, you get to deal with one on one. Yep, cell phone to cell phone. You have an insurance issue, call them. It's somebody you probably already know from right there in the community. They know everybody. Everybody knows them. Somebody you can trust. The hometown hero. Your local Farm Bureau agent. One of my heroes, Mr. Rogers. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day. Mr. Rogers' movie's coming out. Tom Hanks going to play it. Around here, though, we hang out in Mr. Roger. Apostrophe S. Neighborhood. There you go. It's It's possessive. I mean, I was listening to you talking about those insurance agents. No pressure. Yeah, no pressure. No pressure. Hey, well, what I'm saying is, they're supposed to. (laughs) Any local Farm Bureau agents, if I am, you know, if I'm putting you on Front Street, I'm just saying. (laughs) Yeah, you got to deliver. You got to deliver. I have a feeling they do. My neighbor. Your Farm Bureau agent is your neighbor. Big finish. Won't you be? My neighbor. Hello, neighbor. We've changed our shoes and put on a new sweater, and we're ready to go here in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. I, you know, I do that a lot of days. I hit that, and then I, it's kind of a, it, it's kind of a step back from an energy standpoint, Roger. <laughs> you know, like, it really is, isn't it? you know, if you listen to this show um, at night on WVBG in Vicksburg or WBLE in Batesville in those parts of Mississippi, or if you listen online, you wouldn't know. But if you listen live during the middle of the day to this show on 105.9 The Zone, WRKS, you know, we we come in here and start the show right after Chris and Beaver on the gridiron have had their big finish. They play this, you know, music. They pump you up and kind of send you out the door. And then a big open here with Jack Crystal and Jerry Clower, and then boom, Mr. Rogers. I, you know, I, I kind of kill the energy, and it's my fault. I'm the one who hit the button. Hey, if we need some energy, I'm just going to do the the JSU Sonic Boom. Okay, let's re-inject a little energy. Just give us an aside here, about a minute, to hear the Sonic Boom, a little neck, and the energy will be reinstated and we'll be ready to go. Everybody, bob your head on your way to lunch.
Does it get any better? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Roger, my audio meter is pegging out. It's flashing because I'm clipping over here, and that's the way I like it. It's so loud in my studio. That makes it very uh, much like the real experience. <laughs> exactly. One more time. Dadgummit. Okay. All right. So the energy level is set. Let me remind you that you can be a part of the show. I always enjoy uh, hearing your voice chatting with you a little bit on the Divini Equipment phone. Divini Equipment, Madison, and in Jackson. 995-1059. It's a 601 area code, so uh, dial it in. 601-995-1059. That'll get you in. Yeah, Roger, um, you know, you have to let me know in my ear when and if Absolutely. we get the phone call. Yeah. Also, I am monitoring the text line. <laughs> That's a funny one there. What's that? Monitoring? Fluffy bottoms. Oh, let me see here. Fluffy. I got to be careful just blurting out Fluffy. You, re- you can read it. It's safe. Okay. You've previewed it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the text line at 885-ESPN. 885-ESPN, you want to text that uh, number, make sure it's a 601 area code, and then your text will pop up here on the text screen, and I'll give you a shout-out, depending on what we're talking about here. Uh, Fluffy says, instead of Tom Hanks doing Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, can we just get Eddie Murphy doing Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood? Wasn't that great? Yeah. Was that not great, that old Saturday Night Live gig? We've got to find that audio. My favorite scene from... You know, when Saturday Night Live was just phenomenal, when it was great, and Eddie Murphy was a big part of it. Yeah, and he kind of did a a spoof on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. They did Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood. And, of course, he's a, you know, African-American guy in a a big city, you know, maybe rough neighborhood. He hadn't paid his rent. And so, yeah, there was one scene where he sang the song, you know, Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood, and there was a knock on the door. And Eddie Murphy, playing the part of Mr. Robinson, said, And now, boys and girls, I'm going to teach you how to answer the door. (laughs) And then they knocked again, and he said, Who is it? (laughs) (laughs) And the voice on the other side of the door said, Landlord. And promptly, the show closing music began to play. And Eddie Murphy, as Mr. Robinson, began to sing the closing song, and he said goodbye as he climbed out the window and escaped via the the, the fire escape <laughs> without having to confront his landlord. <clears throat> That's my favorite. But, yeah, how to, here's how to answer the door. Who is it? <laughs> Good stuff. <clears throat> that sound you just heard is me opening. There's plenty of coffee, coffee in the thermos today. Uh, from High Point Roasters in New Albany. Dan the Coffee Man, y'all hit him up. Highpointroasters.com. Buy your coffee there if you haven't. Listen, if you're a coffee drinker, just try it. Don't debate. Just get on there. Highpointroasters.com. Buy the one-pound bag. If you do like me and you know, you're know you using it in a grinder so you can use that French press, then just get the coffee beans. Try something basic. Maybe the breakfast blend or the New Albany blend, you'll be glad you did. So plenty of coffee in the thermos, and we're ready to go. 
Uh, Tim texting the show. 885-ESPN. Said. Yeah, if you don't know, LSU put out yesterday new pictures of their locker room. It is space age, man. It is unreal what LSU has built for their football team. It's a recruiting tool. Tim said, instead of complaining about LSU's new locker room funded entirely by alumni, not a penny came from the taxpayers. There's nothing stopping an alum who made millions of dollars in an academic career from donating to the much-needed library. Tyron Matthew and Pat Peterson each donated a million because football has helped them receive tens of millions. Yeah, I, I didn't necessarily like have that on the docket to come in here and latch on to and talk about. If Tim, I will tell you, you know this, and maybe you're down there and you can hear it. When that came out yesterday, people in the state of Louisiana kicked off this big debate on social media especially. The state of Louisiana is broke. They had all kinds of issues, money issues and problems. And you'll remember two years ago, the whole stinking university, Louisiana State University, was about to be unfunded, not able to pay anybody anything and all this kind of stuff. And you got, meanwhile, anything the LSU football program wants or needs, they get. <laughs> get They get it. Including now... Hands down, the nicest locker room and living space for its football team of anybody in the country. Somebody else will play hopscotch with them soon. It'll probably be Alabama or Oregon and you know, or Texas A&M. But that's the way it works. And it's all a recruiting thing. I mean, that's basically what it is. And so on social media yesterday, Roger, you had like professors oh. or some professor say, I teach so-and-so, and, -so and I, I literally am vacuuming my room uh, every week with a dustbuster I bought with my own money at Walmart because they don't have, they're not paying janitors anymore to clean up. <laughs> and look at this. And, and meanwhile, we're building this for our football team sort of thing. So, That's what the football team, though, generate. Any money for the school, does it all go right back into the football? Program? No, it's everything. Well, and frankly, see, what a lot of people don't want to, in academia, I, hey, by the way, Roger, I have a cousin who went to uh, Vanderbilt. She's really smart. She's a great, great person. She really is. Not all my cousins are. She is. <laughs> but anyway, she went to Vanderbilt, and one time she used the word academician. She talked about the people at Vanderbilt and called them academicians. And then I argued with her because I said that was not a word. <laughs> I Actually, I think I found out later that it is. So academicians at LSU, people in academia, a lot of times what they don't realize or don't want to admit, one or the other, is that the athletics programs, particularly football, especially football, mainly football, are the best marketing department or arm that any university could possibly have. Anything that anybody outside of a small bubble of people knows about LSU is because of their football team. The only reason 99% of the general public 
in this country or anywhere else is even aware of Louisiana State University is because of that football team. A huge portion of the out-of-state student body was attracted to LSU not because of a major uh, department of study, but because they watched LSU on TV. (laughs) And that is a fact. So it's basically, uh, look, it's almost like as a university, anything you invest in your football program in the SEC is, is money well invested because it is your marketing department. You cannot, no university could in any way, shape, form, or fashion come even close to being able to afford to buy the type of advertising space that your football team's getting for free. They're paying you (laughs) to be on ESPN and CBS. (laughs) All right, here we go. Divinity Equipment Phone, 995-1059. Who is it, Roger? You got Mike. Mike! Want to be like Mike? What's up, Mike? Well, I, I, I don't know that anybody wants to be like me, but I do know this. LSU's athletic department annually sends about 18 to $22 million to the university. Mm-hmm. So while these professors complain about this locker room, you know, only guys like that that live in an ivory tower would cut the very thing that's only, the only thing right now in that state that's funding. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and also, if you look at out-of-state applications, at any SEC university, they are always, just like you said, higher when the team does better. Absolutely. Now, let's look at that out-of-state tuition at State Ole Miss or LSU. It's much higher than the in-state tuition. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm about tired of professors tweeting stuff out before they know what the hell's going on. I, I totally agree with that, Mike. And, and may I ask, this is none of my business. I, you don't have to tell me one way or the other, but are you a fan of a school or, or did you work at a school um, like, what's your familiarity in terms of having that information? You're just kind of viewing it from a distance, or have you ever worked at a university? I've been in education for 27 years, got a master's degree for Ole Miss. And let okay. me tell you something. If you want to see people screw up funding, let educators do it. Uh, right. Yeah. Okay. See that, Mike, I could just tell by the way you spoke about it, with, and I don't know you. I think you would confirm that. I could tell there's a little info behind what you're saying. Okay, so you've been in it. You got a master. You've been in education for 27 years. And I, Mike, help me out here. I think LSU is a big, huge example. You know, this big school in the state of Louisiana in the SEC. But the same is true for, let's say, a junior college. The best possible marketing that you can advertising you can have for your school is that you have a successful football program out front and center. Agree? Even in JUCO. Well, there's going to be more people at Hines or Jones on a Thursday night for the football game than normal on that campus. That's right. You know, I mean, you take football, it's kind of a cottage industry. Mm-hmm. You've got the band, you've got the dance team, you've got the cheerleaders. So it's the only sport that brings in the whole community. Yeah. And, you know, while they're fussing about football at LSU, let's not even go to the economic impact in Starkville, Oxford, Baton Rouge, Austin of football and when they're good. That's it's right. over a hundred million dollars. Yeah, Mike. Those are jobs, you know. Well, that's it. And you're talking about restaurant, hotel revenue, everything else. Um, I need to find. I'm going to find it. There was a study. I think it was dated 2016, actually, uh, at the height of Alabama's success in football. 
Of course, Auburn had had a lot of success too, had had won a national championship in 2010, had played for another three years later. And the folks in Alabama used about three to four years worth of data and did an economic impact study that college football had, not only on the college towns, but on the whole state of Alabama. And it was uh, really, really something else. And it absolutely confirmed what you said, and that was you look at the University of Alabama's out-of-state student population, the numbers had skyrocketed, and therefore the revenue they generated from tuition of -of out-of-state students had skyrocketed since they became relevant in football again. It was directly tied to it. You know, and I know the year that that Mississippi State made it to one and Ole Miss beat Alabama, in Mm -hmm. Oxford and Starkville, the economic impact was north of $100 million. Wow. Now, you take it out of those two towns, Mm -hmm. you know, let the sociology department have a giant forum. Let's see how that works out for us. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, we can debate all day long. I agree with you, Mike. You know, people can debate all day long the – the long-term, you know, impact on individual lives of a, you know, a, like you say, a sociology department versus football, but that's a different conversation. So, hey, man, I appreciate your phone call. I hope you won't be a stranger. Call me anytime. Thank you. Good call from Mike. That's a guy that knows what he's talking about. You can tell. Um, yeah, so there are so many things that – and sure, I mean, if you put yourself – in the, if you put yourself in the um, shoes of a of an educator, a professor, teacher, whatever, you know, and let's just say someone who they haven't been doing it long, and they maybe aren't making tons of money <laughs> in that job, and they look around them and they understand the numbers and how it squeezes the university, the situation that the state of Louisiana is in. And then one block over on campus, they build what they've built for the football team. And so it's just incredibly short-sighted. Now, let me say this. This is not go for all college professors, but by and large, short-sightedness and, well, I don't want to paint with a big, broad brush. But, you know, there's typically a kind of an animus between a lot of the academic types on campus and and the athletic department. Yeah. A little bit of snobbery, probably Mm -hmm. from both sides. Well, that's the funny thing about it. That's right. Yeah. But, but, you know, when you're a hammer, everything is a nail. (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah, that's about it. So all they're they're seeing is their problem, the guy doing the dust busting. (laughs) Well, it's all right. They see their problems. What's right in front of your nose? And that's right. And, you know, you can certainly, anybody can look and understand the, the importance of the school. You know, the things that, what's the guts of the school, the classes and the degrees and the opportunities that those things give you? Yeah. Well, you know, you have uh, this similar dynamic here in this state when you have these Fantastic facilities going in up, up, you know, in Oxford and in Starkville, mm-hmm. and then some of the other schools around the state are struggling because they don't have the alumni support. Mm-hmm. And if you just, if you're just, you know, if, if you're not really informed on it, outside looking in, I, I can see that. Right. 
And any school's got to be strong in-state first and then be able to attract and enroll out-of-state students and that kind of thing. This was 2017. I said 2016. This was a study in 2017. Before Nick Saban arrived, the school at University of Alabama topped 20,000 enrollment in 2003. They hit a record of 23,000 in 0607. By the fall of 2016, 10 years later after Saban arrived, they had received 42,000 applications at the University of Alabama. They did not enroll all of those. They enrolled 37,000 students that year. All right, so again, before he arrived, Coaching effect. <laughs> Alabama topped out in enrollment most ever at 23,000 in 2007. That is equal to what State and Ole Miss are doing right now. Then Saban got there, and 10 years later, their enrollment was 37,665. Almost double. Exactly. You can't end this segment without reading that last text there. Thank you for the heads up. I wasn't looking at it. Let's see. From Louvier. Quote from Bear Bryant. It's hard to rally around a math class. <laughs> <laughs> right on. I'm target, Louvier. <laughs> Good stuff. Just getting started in the Farm Bureau studio. Stick around. You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show. Hey, what up? Back on the show. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. You can be a part of the show. Be like Mike. Like Mike. Try to be like Mike. I want to be, I want to be like Mike. (laughs) Y'all can be like Mike and call the show on the Divini phone, 995-1059. It is... A 601 number, 995-1059. That's the number to call the Divinity phone. I'll put you on the air. A state connected to you around the clock because of C Spire, the number one network in Mississippi. You want ultra-fast LTE for free? Switch to a $25 unlimited plan on prepaid by C Spire for two free gigabytes of high-speed data each month and a free Samsung Galaxy J3 phone. Everything I just said is right there for you to read about and study and take advantage of. Go to cspire.com slash prepaid. It's pretty simple, right? Right. cspire.com slash prepaid. Prepaid. Roger and I have been having fun off air. He played me some of the Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood. I played him this. We were talking about Hank Hill earlier. Soccer was invented by European ladies to keep them busy while their husbands did the cooking. Hank Hill. (laughs) You have the Me Too crowd after him. You better be careful. Hey, look. um, 
soccer will not most days be a topic of conversation on this show. Most days it will not be a topic of conversation. You know, unlike the show before us, you never really know what they're going to talk about. I, I popped in the studio, Roger, and put the headset on and just listen in to the last little bit of the gridiron. And man, those if you listen to Chris and Beaver and those guys on that show and the listeners to their texts and stuff, you would think that a Mississippi State receiver has never caught a single pass in a game. That's the way that. it sounded. I saw those texts. The last five minutes of their show, if, that's, if you had been on a space mission <laughs> for 10 years, it's a weird example, and you come back, and you fly back into Jackson, and you're in the car headed back to your house. And you heard the last five minutes of that show. The impression you would get is that Mississippi State has not caught a single pass in a game in 10 years. Yep. And there was this one guy on the text line who was going to bat. This one guy. state fans, too. Uh, state fans. Yeah. But this one guy named Pat, he said, Gidry and Zuber, book it. Gidry and Zuber, 700 yards apiece. Thomas, 400. Okay, we'll see. JR texted him and said, State's going to have 1,000 yards and drop passes. Uh, True Maroon texted them and said, yes, they drop the easiest passes. You have Gorilla Glue gloves. How do you drop it? I mean, again, it's amazing to me how these different narratives and things take off. Does State have, like from last year to this year, a lot of improving to do in the past game? Yeah. But it's almost like everybody's just chalking it up to receivers can't catch. That couldn't be farther from the truth. There is so much more that goes into the past game. One guy reading it, turning it loose on time, then it's accurate. And then they catch it. <laughs> and the DB's got to be in the right place, too. There's so much that goes into every single solitary play, whether it works or doesn't work, that very seldom, like it's only a handful of examples, it's just a straight drop. It's just a straight, everything was perfect except the guy just didn't catch it. You know, and, and what happened with State is you had a couple of like those glaring examples, like the one against Florida. Okay, so Osiris Mitchell, he's open behind the secondary. He's going to catch it and just walk into the end zone on a bomb throw from Fitzgerald, and he dropped it. Okay, well, that stands out. That's one. That's one. What are the others? Are there five more like that throughout the year? No. Not that they're that wide open. So what I'm telling you is we can't go back and watch the film and find ten examples of wide-open, perfect throws this guy's saying, yes, they drop the easiest passes. Like, it's just amazing to me how these big old false sort of narratives just take off in regards to stuff. Yeah, they had issues in the past game. Was it an issue with receivers that could not catch? No. Did they have a crucial drop against Florida? Yeah, one. Did Gidry drop one for a touchdown in the bowl game? Yep. It went right through a defender's hands and kind of surprised him because the timing was off. Had he caught it, 
it would have been outside of the scope of the way the play was designed. But nobody cares about that. Well, he dropped it, so he can't catch. Where's the glue? I mean, are you kidding me? Come on. See, that's the thing. I mean, like, we all have to... Don't we... Don't we all have to be careful what we say and think and believe when we are not experts in something? <laughs> don't we? I'm just saying don't we have to because I look at it like this, Roger. If I get on the radio and I, and I make some big grand judgment that let's say is about a, you know, uh, I don't know, a political – like. A, or, or somebody running the city of Jackson, some big infrastructure issue, and I make some big grand statement, don't I have to think it the, the whole while and understand that there are smart people who could hear that and absolutely prove me wrong because they know more about it than I do. I don't know anything about any of that. And so, like on this football front, oh, they dropped the easiest passes. Let me throw this at you just as an example. Pro football focus, it's owned and run. Well, I say run. He part ownership or kind of started this thing. Uh, Chris Collinsworth, the former NFL player, analyst now on the NBC Sunday Night Crew, all that kind of stuff. But pro football focus, and they have a, a college branch off. It's um, a big website. They have plenty of funding, a lot of people that work for them. And what they do is they pour over these minute stats and you know stuff throughout the year. They put this out there on Twitter just a few days ago. From the Southeastern Conference last season, the few the lowest drop rates percentages by SEC wide receivers last year. The lowest drop rates by SEC wide receivers last year. You know who had the fewest had the lowest drop rate in all of the SEC last season for a receiver? Dedrick Thomas, Mississippi State. Zero. Not one single time did they ever target him and he didn't catch it. (laughs) Think about that. He and one other, Josh Hammond from Florida, were the two guys in the entire conference with a 0.0 drop rate. The other lowest were uh, Devontae Smith from Alabama, 2.3, and Van Jefferson, Florida, 2.8. So on one hand, we're going to pour through all 13 games last year for every team in the SEC on this website and realize that State has one of two guys with zero drop percentage last year. And then I can flip over to the text line on this radio station and see the school's own fans texting that, yes, they drop the easiest passes. <laughs> it ain't just about drops. <clears throat> Do you have to improve in the pass game 100%? Do receivers have to play better? Absolutely. Do they have to be coached better? Yeah. You got to throw it better? Uh-huh. Is this all about receivers dropping the easiest passes? Not even close. Not even close. That's just one man's opinion, though. Yo, welcome to prove me wrong. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Stick around. You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show.
All right. Unique high school football traditions. I don't mean just like nicknames or, you know, stuff like that, but something that's a little different from a tradition standpoint. I put it out on Twitter. I did it on Facebook, too. I hadn't seen the Facebook responses yet, but I just uh, told people, hit me up if you have a... I'm looking for, for a project, unique high school football traditions in Mississippi and in Alabama. The Brandon Pearl eat dirt thing. Isn't that, isn't that a cheer? Where they you know, tell each other to eat dirt? Of course. Man, we, we need, really need Ben on this one. Would he go to one of those schools? Oh, yeah. Okay. They talk about the Pearl Brandon rivalry for hours. Oh, look, it's a big deal now. It's a real yeah. deal rivalry. I've seen, I saw one Brandon versus Pearl game in person in my life. And Roger, I don't know if you remember, this is going back. Um, Probably almost 10 years ago when C Spire uh, produced the Bright Lights series of high school football games around here. Did you remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they did that for three or four seasons. I can't remember. I want to say maybe it was three, but it might have been four. But every year um, I was the, the analyst, you know, the color analyst on the broadcast for those games. And so I think this was either year one or year two, we did a production and a broadcast of the Brandon versus Pearl game for Bright Lights, Ceasefire Bright Lights. What that entailed, if anybody around here, a lot of people did watch it, it was a high-level production. I mean, in terms of, like, there was no expense spared. This is a full-on live HD broadcast on Fox Sports. <laughs> Uh, or Fox Sports South, I guess it was. <clears throat> so we had cameras everywhere and crew and, uh, you know, the truck parked outside the stadium linking up to the satellite and all this different stuff. And these same people, the directors and producers and sound people and cameramen, would all load up after our games on Friday nights at Ceasefire Bright Lights and would load up and head to New Orleans because they were all doing the Saints games on Sundays, yeah, you know, and stuff like that. It was a really neat thing. And it was just neat to see it. And it gave me and all of us an opportunity to see some of these high school rivalry games that you only have heard about. So Brandon and Pearl was one of them. And that particular year, the game was at Pearl. You know, their stadium there, nice place. Um, the, uh, uh, the turf field and the stands were full. Standing room only. There's people standing everywhere. And Roger... They brought in a Jumbotron for these games. I don't know if you remember that or got to see it. I, I do remember that. It was, a, it was before you had the option for most of these schools to stream the game. So right. it, was, it was a real big deal to have high school football on TV. It was a big deal. That's right. And and they would bring in, C Spire brought in this giant like mobile video board, Jumbotron, parked it beside the field and sent it up in the sky. And so... You'd show up at the local, and so we had a jumbotron there for Brandon Pearl. And I, this is what I remember, Roger. Listen, this was a close game. That thing you talk about loud and intense. We also had Madison Central Clinton one year, and some of those. This Brandon Pearl thing, intense, close game. Late in the game, right in front of the Pearl sideline. Okay, 
if I'm remembering this correctly, they throw a pass. The receiver for Brandon goes up, catches the ball, and comes down with one foot out of bounds. Clearly out of bounds. A foot and a half out of bounds. Okay? The referee signaled a completion. Waved his hands. Complete. Spotted the ball. First down, Brandon. All the people on the Pearl side are like, no way! He's out of bounds! And about that time, because we're broadcasting the game, we got 8 million cameras on it. We have every angle you could possibly want, Roger. On the Jumbotron, Uh (laughs) it showed the replay of the play. (laughs) And the crowd went wild. And we had a close-up. With a sideline angle, close-up, slow-mo of the receiver catching the ball and coming down at least a foot out of bounds. (laughs) And when they showed that replay in slow-mo on that video board, those Pearl fans lost their minds. I think it was that way. It might have been, I might have my teams reversed, but I think I'd have it right. And I just remember fans lost their minds, and I felt so bad for that official, for that referee, because it was a bad call. (laughs) I don't feel bad. He got paid. Well, I guess, but not much. Well, they pay a high school official. I mean, you know, on the side. Yeah, I got oh. <laughs> a paper bag after the game. Good I felt good. Man, Ro- you stayed strong out there. <laughs> I felt so bad for him, Roger, because every fan in that stadium could see how bad he blew that call. In yeah, what high slow-mo. school official has ever had to deal with replay? I know it. That's the thing. This one guy. It's the first one. <laughs> This one guy got put on front street because it was a bad call. And everybody got to watch it on the Jumbotron in slow-mo. <laughs> I bet a bunch of them were there, probably out there, nodding their heads right now. <laughs> <laughs> in a big rivalry game, no less, yeah. man. It was Some of the others that got uh, sent to us, see, they suggested uh, the Little Brown Jug game, Hattiesburg at Laurel. Here, Norwood tweeted... Pillow Academy versus Lee Academy is the napkin bowl. What could that be? Uh, The Louisville Wildcats tweeted at me and said, we begin the season playing our biggest rival in the game. The Toothpick Bowl is named after our former head coach, who's now the team chaplain. That's pretty unique. Yep. That's it. He just retired this past year, though, right? Coach... um, Oh, y'all help me out. He was at Knoxville County, then he was Louisville, y'all, and, and won it last year at Louisville. I'm just drawing a blank on his name. Won it and retired. That's it. And then uh, somebody tweeted me and said, the entire Chelsea high school football team, they are the Hornets, all get into an inflatable hive before the game. <laughs> <laughs> I got to see this now. Roger. Did they tweet you a picture? No, but I don't want to see that. If that's real, we have to see that. I got to see these guys in full, full gear in a what's a, basically a bouncy house. Yeah, I got to see that inflatable, inflatable beehive, beehive and or a hornet's nest, hornet's nest, and the whole football team gets in there. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that now. <clears throat> um. On the text line, I want to go back to this real quick. Uh, that's it. Thank you. I got a text. It's MC Miller 
from Louisville. That's right. And, you know, who who claims him? Knoxville or Louisville or everybody? Right, because he was at Knoxville all those years. Did he win a state championship at Knoxville? He had all those good players and good teams. And then went up the road to Louisville. Now he's won the 4A this past year with Louisville. Retired. M.C. Miller. He's now the chaplain, huh? I got a text here from a friend on this. Valdosta High School has a great tradition, he says. There is a tin roof that starts at the exit door and covers the walkway to the field, and once a team fills that up, someone will start pounding the tin roof with their helmet like a slow clap, and the other, and then another, and then another. And before you know it, Let's see, let's see. Let's draw a laser. How about that? I bet that is pretty cool. I'd love to see that. I didn't, I didn't catch the last part of the text or understand it, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, how long is that roof going to hold up? I mean, you better not pound it too hard, right? Yeah. Why is this walkway leaking? <laughs> um, no, I want to go back to the text line in regard to the drops. Um, the, the drop passes issue with Mississippi State. We were talking about that earlier. Or it's kind of an overblown issue, I think, in, in terms of it just being a drop passes thing. Sure, you drop some. Um, but somebody responded to that and said, yeah, but two drops cost us two wins, Florida and Iowa. And I guess you could argue that, yeah. Um, I kind of go a different route. I, you, know, you know, one play can put points on the board. It can certainly change the game, no doubt. Make all the difference. But so can a lot of other plays, too. <clears throat> Turnovers. You know, we talk about that one drop pass that would have, we know would have put points on the board if you just hang on, but what about that interception in the second quarter, you know? you know, What about that first down you gave up back in the third quarter? You know, all those things are big, too. So some we just remember more than others. Hey, listen, um, if you were listening yesterday, you will remember that this conversation came up about the convoluted scheduling model that you have in the SEC. Really the only major conference, the only remaining Power 5 conference, not playing nine conference games. The SEC only plays eight. Therefore, you get four non-conferences and all that. Nick Saban's kind of on the forefront of pushing, wanting to change it. Travis Ryer is a friend of mine. He covers Alabama and Saban and all of them year-round for Bama Online. He's going to jump on with us next. We're going to talk about this whole scheduling thing and maybe talk a little bit about their quarterback Tua Tagovailoa as well that'll start us off in hour number two here on the show in the Farm Bureau studio and I will stick around and see you then you're listening to the Matt Wyatt show 